Hello and welcome to Finance, Energy and Beyond, brought to you by Stanbrook Consulting, a specialist recruitment consultancy for the finance and energy markets. I'm your host Jack Hopper and in this episode I'm joined by Richard Adufisan, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Lead and Ex-Senior Manager at Deloitte. Richard talks about his career and experiences that eventually resulted in him becoming a DE&I lead. Hope you enjoy. Richard, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Nice to be here. Lovely to have you here. If you could, uh, first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a bit of an introduction. Who is Richard? Who is Richard? It's one of my favourite questions now because the the answer's changed over the years. Um, So (laughs) my name's Richard Adufasol. Um, I am first and foremost a husband and a father uh, and I work in DEI, uh, people is my thing. Uh, I think my whole, my whole mission is about how we, how we make work more enjoyable for people so that they can be successful, whatever that looks like for them. Nice, nice. Uh, and your DEI journey, this is, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to catch up with yourself. Um, yeah. Tell me about how that journey started and sort of where that took you. Yeah, um, so I think it started like it does for most of us who work in DEI, which is very selfishly. Uh, I was looking around while I was at Deloitte, I was looking around and seeing who was around me, who was in the rooms that I was, who was progressing as much as I was and realising that there weren't many people who looked like me. Mm. So... The, the work started because I'm trying to find the other black faces at a peer level, at a, like a mentor and ambition level, um, and I just wasn't seeing it. So I started to ask those questions, have those conversations with leadership to try to work out why it is the way it is. Um, I think it's really easy to dismiss things and just go, I must just be that good. But if we're being honest, uh, it's never that simple, right? There is an element of hard work. There's an individual piece to it. But if we look at the systems in place that mean that certain groups of people get opportunities at different rates and different levels, those are the questions I had to ask even when I was doing well. So starting there and really focusing on the experiences of other black people you then are in the room and you're hearing the experiences of women, you're hearing the experiences of people with different disabilities uh, from the LGBTQ community and starting to piece together that broader picture of what it actually means to have Mm. different privileges and different opportunities put in front of you for you to take. There's there's one thing uh, I'm going to read this to you. This is uh, this is on your LinkedIn page. So this is when you were chief of staff. As chief of staff, I'm working with our leaders to evolve the culture in the firm and continuously enable all of our people to feel connected, Mm -hmm. to feel safe, to be themselves. I love that. When I when I read that, I was like that that is the epitome of what a chief of staff should be doing. But I guess that's where you're. The and I journey started. Is that is that right in saying? Uh, so just before it, um, I'd actually so I'd been a consultant, a debt consultant, and I was working on um, 
kind of growing my career I became a manager so I started to lead teams and at that point I'm seeing the difference in um, what I needed as a manager um, what I needed as a team member and what I was seeing others were getting Mm. Um, so while I'm out on client site and on projects I know that I'd actually as a as a senior consultant I'd had a pretty serious burnout moment where I'd been on a project um, at at a bank and the project just didn't go well like it didn't go well at all and I pushed and pushed and pushed because the way we'd kind of been brought up in that time was if it's not working you're not working hard enough okay so I'm pushing and pushing and pushing my managers are supportive but quiet so they're not seeing um how far past my limit i'm pushing myself and it's only when we get to year end and performance review and they tell me they sat me down i had two separate managers because i was working on two projects at the time they sat me down and both of them said oh richard couldn't have done this without you you've done such an amazing job i know it's been a tough year but because that what they were saying was so far away from my internalized reality that my perception of how it was going because it hadn't been successful i felt i was failing as soon as they said that something in me snapped and i just broke down i was crying in the office and that for me was like the trigger point that change point where i realized i needed to think about success and hard work and leadership differently so the chief of staff role came because i'd reached a point where i said i can't be the only manager whose teams protect whose teams are protected whose well-being is being looked after i need to think about that differently as an overall collective as a team um and so when the opportunity came to us, I took a bit of time away from client delivery and spoke to our partner in charge. Um, and she she was amazing because she could see that this was something that really mattered to me and said, OK, I'm looking for a new chief of staff. Can we let's work together and see how we bring that together, um, especially off the back of the pandemic as well. Right? We're in a space where we've never been so disconnected where we're all recovering from the trauma that was the pandemic we're dealing with a new way of working where we're having to learn to have every interaction on a screen we're having people who are joining and have never met colleagues Mm. and suddenly need to find that way to work well together um so that that need for connectivity that need for alignment of vision that need for safety really for me is the ultimate thing right when when you think about the amount of time we spend at work yeah if you're in a space where you're constantly performing what you think the role wants you to be like or how you think you need to present in order to be successful you run out of energy you run out of the capacity to do that on top of trying to deal with everything else the world is throwing at you so that that focus on connection value alignment and safety was all about 
how do we create teams where we know each other well, we can find those spaces where actually all of our differences, all of our strengths, we bring them together in a more effective team dynamic. Mm. But so people are looking out for each other. People are aware of, okay, it is so easy when you're working from home to be on from eight till eight because no one's looking after you. No one's doing that that personal care that goes, it's all right. The, no matter how upset the client might feel in the moment, doing it tomorrow morning instead of between 7 and 9 p.m. is probably not going to be the end of the world. Right? We, yeah. The world doesn't end if a slide deck isn't ready on time. <laughs> um, and yeah, being able to focus on that and look at how we care for our people in a time when we were reevaluating what work looks like, what it means to deal with this new world was, was really important for me. And yeah, a, a key step in, in making me realize that my career wasn't meant to continue down the, the consulting pure delivery route. Yeah, and you learn, and, and you've obviously taken your, your own experiences and that's evolved into something you're really passionate about. Absolutely. And then that's evolved into your passion to look, I've experienced these things. What can I do to help others? Yes. And yeah, it's remarkable. Um, and, and, and your journey from Deloitte, then you moved on into a role which was fully focused and, and, and if you want to say branded as D yeah. and I lead. Um, yeah. Can you talk to us about that? Uh, yeah, that that was an interesting one because a lot of people ask me why I left Deloitte at the time that I did. Um, and it was it was less driven by me wanting to leave and more by me seeing an opportunity, right? There was there was plenty of reasons for me to stay. I had really good relationships. Um, I had just been promoted to senior manager, so everything was actually going well. And in my mind, that was the best time to take this chance. Um, the work we were doing from an inclusion perspective at Deloitte was really good, but the challenges you face in a bigger um, global network of firms means that you're you're having to deal with lots of different levels of bureaucracy. Yeah, so, it's tough. I understand. Yeah, local impact could be huge, but that opportunity to make a broader, wider impact um, was a really great opportunity that I didn't want to pass up. And at Wave, we we had that opportunity and we really did the work. I think with with a lot of startups, right, the the joy of how it goes is it's so quick. We just go with what works now, what works now, what works now. And you can very easily end up with a patchwork of different approaches and policies that aren't necessarily, um, they're not necessarily where they need to be. Yeah. But the opportunity that provides is then you can design with intention. So as you're looking at, okay, what do we want our performance management to, to look like? What do we want our attraction and recruitment approaches to look like? What do we want growth to 
to mean? How do we want to build community and culture internally? And being able to start there with the intention and design it in a way that works for the many, as opposed to correcting. Is... Yeah, it's a completely different. It's a completely different role, a completely different journey, really. If you think about it, because when you're in a, a big corporate like Deloitte those frameworks are already in place and you, you're trying to have to unpick some of those and to unpick something in a big corporate is really tough yeah really really tough because as you say there's different layers but now you move into a space where you're the one that's writing the rules yeah yeah and it's completely different it, it is and i think there is the there's the excitement of it but also the responsibility of it and that for me was a really big driver in that opportunity, right? Um, in in the big corp, you can hide behind all the levels, right? You can go, well, I couldn't get this done because um, I had to wait for a partner's permission yeah. or I had to get it approved by this and this and this. When you're owning it, when you're responsible for it, yes, you can drive it more, but you also build that muscle of accountability when things go wrong. How do you manage stakeholders? How do you manage responsibilities and relationships with leaders? How do you how do you partner effectively with the other functions that you'll need? Um, I'm thinking with the broader HR and people teams, with legal, um, with the individual like core um, product teams. How do you work with them to say right from a managerial and leadership perspective what cultural and what behaviors do we need to do differently from a legal perspective what legislation do we work within like what are our boundaries for how creative we can get wow it's and so you now you reflect on your time at wave and say different journey lots and lots of lessons right and uh I'm sure you're going to take those forward into whatever your next opportunity is. Yeah. And the, the reason why we're having a conversation today is, look, it's, it's Black History Month. Yes. You're, you're known as what I would call an, an expert in the DNI space. Um, but I wanted to hear from yourself. As a, as a black man uh, working in a professional capacity, what, is, what does Black History Month mean to you? I think for me, Black History Month is... It's a real opportunity for, for celebration and for education, right? Like, I have, I spent many years going to Black History Month uh, events where it was just a panel. So it was, this is my yeah. experience, this is my career. And while I think those are great, those are really important, there was a little bit more to me uh, about Black History Month in terms of turning it into an opportunity for people to learn the stories and hear the hear about people and stories and history that they don't necessarily get to hear on a day-to-day basis. Um, one of my favorite questions that you get asked is, oh, why is there a Black History Month at all, right? And being completely honest and as harsh as it sounds, it's because we don't talk about it any other time, right? A ideal world, you don't need a Black History Month specifically. You don't need DEI as a function in general because we are already thinking in the ways that are inclusive and 
open and teach the rich history of all the world in a balanced and objective way, right? Um, I know that I grew up, even as a black man myself, right, the images that I grew up with of what it meant to be African, of what it meant to be black, were either the children in need and charity appeal style uh, videos yeah. of, of poor children in villages, unable to eat, unable to feed themselves, um, just at the mercy of the goodwill of these these richer nations in the West. Like, they have been saved by, by um, essentially, the, the history of colonialism, right? Um, or it's more modern day and every black person is a gang member or only a rapper or only a footballer. And those are the contributions we made. And that was the entirety of what we were told, right? Black History Month in school goes as far as there was a slave trade, the slave trade is no longer happening, or Martin Luther King was there, or Rosa Parks was there, and we hear about American black history, and that's amazing. But actually, how much do we know about the history of, of uh, black people in the UK, the history of people like, um, oh, I forgot his first name, Mr. Johnston, who taught um, Charles Darwin taxidermy. John Edmonston, that's what it is, mix the name. John Edmonston, um, who was a former Guyanese slave um, who was brought to brought to the UK, uh, became a freedman, became a uh, studied under a taxidermy taxidermist, became a taxidermist in his own right, taught at the University of Edinburgh, where 16-year-old Charles Darwin uh, was then one of his students. And that those lessons, that basis, the foundation, helped Charles Darwin in his ability to preserve the birds, the finches from the Galapagos, the conversations they had. Charles Darwin is quoted as some of those conversations around the history of the, of the forests in uh, Guyana and South America, contributing and forming some of the foundations of his work around the theory of evolution. We Amazing. don't get to we don't get to hear those stories, right? It's it's almost as if the contributions of black people in Britain started after the slave trade. And had it not been for the slave trade, we couldn't have had all of these great people now, but actually the history is richer and we just don't hear about it. So for me, that is what the month is for. It's those newer stories, the broader ones, continuing to tell a more detailed picture of the world we live in today and how we got here. And a couple of points I just want to pick up on. So absolutely, I agree that we shouldn't have to just have the month of October in the UK anyway um, <laughs> to, to have these conversations. They need th These conversations need to be having all year round. But DE&I mm -hmm. as a role, yes, in theory, there shouldn't need to be details, but the reality is it's still needed. Correct. That's yeah. the reality. At, at, at this moment in time, it's still needed. A hundred percent. That's I my think, opinion. No, I, I, I agree with you. And I think it's even more obvious to me, the need for the role, mm -hmm. as you look at the rhetoric in the media, the rhetoric even in the government at the moment, right, where there is a lot of division, a lot of us versus them, that sense of, I, if I didn't have 
then why should they? Right. And that ability to divide as opposed to what inclusion is actually about. Which is opening doors, providing opportunities to a wider set of people. Yeah. Like that for me is the the reminder that the work is not done. It is continuous. Mm -hmm. It is a very long and very hard journey. But it is really important now more than ever, right? Absolutely. Um, but it's pivotal though, Richard, it's pivotal to to any company that wants to be quote unquote successful. You need to have diverse individuals who have different ideas, who come from different backgrounds, because everyone thinks differently. I've done an exercise with uh, my team. Um, I don't even know what it's called, but we drew five circles and I gave everyone five minutes to draw something using that circle. Not one person done the same thing. And it's, I was just trying to open their mind up. Look, we're all different. We all think differently. Yes. And we have to promote diversity in a work environment so we get those different ideas. So then we then we do innovate and we and we do test the status quo. Um, as long really as important. you use it, right? Um, mm. Because there's there's absolutely a lot of companies who understand the statistics they understand the financial business case for it and they mm -hmm. do the work to get people in so they'll do the attraction they'll get the diversity in the door yeah but you get situations where that diversity then is either tempered and and yeah. squashed as you try and mold people into the type of people you already had it's the or, nurture part as well right yeah the, yeah the the inclusive culture has to come together with it um, a lot a lot of times I've seen companies focus on diversity without thinking about inclusion in the culture. What what does it feel like when you bring people in to your company? And what actually are they coming into? Because it's all good and well doing the enticing, the attractiveness. But when they come, are you listening to them? Do they have a space to bring that difference of ideas? Do they do they actually feel empowered to make use of those differences to draw those different pictures or do you tell them that well actually what I was looking for yeah this is how we want it yeah <laughs> yeah and you and you lose that and you end up with a more of a Mario pipe right where people come in and next thing you know they're straight back out like they've left they've left the company already within a year within a half a year these days it's, right? it's a really tough test though richard like um and and look, it's, you've obviously got a, a tough job on your hands because it, in my mind sometimes it comes down to individual behaviors it's, it's really difficult if you get individuals who behave in a certain way right it it can it can be that individuals don't operate in a in a vacuum, right? They are part of your system. And if you are a leader, if you are managing this system that is your business, yeah, you need to think about how you want all the parts to work together. Mm. Right. There are there are cases where you can have amazing individual contributors who are horrible for your team dynamic, right? And you have to ask yourself as a leader, what matters to you more? Do you want that unique individual? Do you want to focus on 
despite all of the negativity, despite all of the damage he does to the rest of the team, do you want that specific individual to still yeah. stay? Or do you sacrifice that individual to have a more balanced and more effective whole? Right? So really what you want to do is make sure that the expectations of leadership um, and management at all levels, because it's not just a case of waiting until you have manager in your title or until you have team members. Who are you as a leader? From the moment you walk in, what is the imprint? What's the legacy you're making in that space? And we need to be very clear as business leaders about what we are looking for. What do we expect and what do we not tolerate? Some real like food for thought, I think, for for the listeners. Um, maybe some of you that are working in some big corporates, and you may have this notion that there's too many barriers, too many layers for me to do anything. There's definitely more that we can all do. But yeah. I, I, w- I wanted to talk to you about um, about your podcast. Yes. I want to I, I want to talk about why it started and. And, and sort of how it's going. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Because I think our listeners will be really interested. Yeah. Um, so Tales from the Plantation is uh, is a podcast that started as a as a group chat with uh, one of my friends from school, his sister, some of their friends from home. I actually started as a listener, um, but then I couldn't I couldn't stay quiet for too long. I was messaging him after every uh, every episode, um, and he eventually just goes. Do you want to do you want to be on the pod? Um, and where it started was really just sharing the stories of our experiences in professional environments. So we have someone who works in medicine. We have someone who works in marketing. Someone who works in uh, I was in I was in uh, the big four, and just talking about the different challenges we had, whether it was um, like surface level things like people without invitation touching your hair and and um the microaggressions we experience on a daily basis and seeing how that affected us but also mm. how common it was across all of our different industries um as we've grown though the the change has been for a lot of us we've all moved into inclusion roles whether that's volunteer or for me uh, full time um, and looking at how we're able to use our voice, how we're able to be advocates, speak, continue to learn um, about what the experiences are like, not just for for black people, but actually as people from under underrepresented groups, marginalized groups in society in general, and some of the talking through some of the challenges we face, whether it's um due to rhetoric whether it's due to um just the way systems are set up and the layers that we have to go through um but we also try to have some fun i think it is yeah there there is there is some fun involved as well i I recommend any of our listeners to go and listen to the podcast so it's towels from the plantation where can people find it uh, you can find it on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. It's on all the all the podcast uh, apps. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I think it's really worthwhile listening to. There's a little bit of homework there for the listeners. <laughs> so, Richard, that brings us to the 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 end of the podcast. But we've got a bit of a closing tradition. 
Yes. Can you name someone within your black network who's really inspired you and tell us why? Uh, yeah. So I, I talk about him a lot in terms of the the journey I've been able to make to date. Um, his name's Josh Graham. He's a director now uh, at, at Deloitte. Um, he was the first like more senior person who was black that I met um, when I rejoined yeah. in 2014. And from the very start, our first interaction, um, because I'd been a, a scholar before, it was like a gap year student at Deloitte, rejoining meant that there were issues with my onboarding and I didn't get paid the first month. Now, for a lot of people, they could just be like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. How, how do you want me to do anything here? Um, he took it upon himself. He stood up. He went to HR with all the authority of someone who was, I think at the time, he was one grade above me. So really, he had no power, but he didn't let that stop him. And the way he has continued to advocate um, from when we started together as a consultant and an analyst to when we uh, moved into the space of setting up the Deloitte Black Network, um, it started as a... Uh, as an adventure to try to get tickets for a, a young black professionals leadership conference um, and that turned from the two of us thinking we need to get tickets to how do we get um, more tickets how do we get four four became 50 um, that 50 wow. we weren't expecting it because we were like are there even 50 black people at Deloitte um, <laughs> that 50 became the core of what was a, a WhatsApp group of just black people at Deloitte, which then during George Floyd and the, and the real Black Lives Matter movement turned into a more concerted effort to actually drive the change, drive the conversation, start mm. the black work. And it's like I said at the start, when I was looking for senior black leaders, he has always been the one not just leading the way and demonstrating what excellence is, what is possible, but also taking the time to help people back up. He's really, really invested in making sure that there are people coming up behind him so that yeah. there is a broader range, there is more opportunities, there are more role models than just him. And yeah, I, yeah, I can <laughs> I think it just shows the importance of having representation for people that are starting a new company in senior roles. You, you need to look up and think it's possible for me to do that. There is a path. I can do it because there's someone else who looks similar to me who's within that position. Um, so thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Um Hopefully, you're going to get a few more listens on your podcast from this. Um, but yeah, for now, we'll say uh, goodbye. But thanks so much, Richard. Jack, thanks so much for having me. Have a good day, bud. You too. Bye-bye.